that uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with two parents who loved me and uh, sought to nurture uh, my, my relationship with Christ. And uh, they also tried to really protect me from things that would be harmful to me in any way, in, in all sorts of ways. And yet, uh, there was a day when I was in grade school, I don't remember if I was like fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, kind of in that area. I grew up in a, on a farm and uh, went to a K-8 uh, school in a really small town. And so we were just kind of hanging out with some friends after school one day and uh, went over to one of my friends to his house. And at their house, there was a little clubhouse in the back and he was a really big family and he had some older brothers. And in that clubhouse, there was a, a stash of pornography. You know, I wish that day never would have happened. Yet the reality was that day happened. And so when I, as a freshman in college, really began to be serious about growing in my relationship with Christ, this was an issue that needed to be addressed. You know, the reality is that for most of us, this is an area that needs to be addressed, at least at some level. No longer do we stumble into these kind of things over at a friend's house, I mean, it's everywhere, right? Internet and, and phones and computers. And, and we live in a day when uh, many around us do not have biblical values about sex and how our sexuality is to be expressed. And ideas that are so contrary to God's good will are promoted and celebrated in a thousand ways through a thousand voices in our culture. We're awash in this kind of world. And so when we come to this area of sexual integrity, most of us have experienced some level of brokenness, some level of failure. Some of us live with a great sense of guilt and shame because of choices we've made. Some of us live with a sense of hopelessness, like is it really possible to even obey God in this area given the world that we live in? And some of us wonder, does it really matter Does it really matter if I fully obey God in this area? Like every area of sin, it matters. It matters a lot that we obey God in this area. All sin is serious. All sin is destructive. But having said that, I would suggest that there's something about sexual sin, sins in this area, that have more power to destroy lives and relationships and marriages and families maybe than any other sin. It matters. It matters a lot. Today, as we continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians, we're coming to a passage where Paul's going to address this issue, and so we will too. Um, you know, up to this point in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's been primarily encouraging them, exhorting them, praising them for how well they are doing. This is a healthy church that he's writing to, and he wants them to continue in that. As you come to chapter 4, he sort of makes this transition, says finally, he's moving on to, to uh, give them some instructions, some admonitions of how they can continue to, to grow as a, a healthy church. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. The very first two verses are sort of this heading where he, he deals with a core motivation for all of the instructions that he's going to give. So I want to look at that core motivation and then look at this first area that he talks about, this whole area of sexual integrity. And so the first thing he talks about is this, this core motivation about pleasing God. Take a look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you 
through the Lord Jesus. When Paul first brought the gospel to the, to the Thessalonians, he, he taught them how to live so as to please God. And in his letter now, he's affirming them. He's affirming their progress. They were walking in a way that pleased God. They were living according to the instructions that Paul had given them through the Lord Jesus. But there was still room for growth, right? There was room for growth. So he encourages them to do so more and more. The reality is in the Christian life, we we never arrive, right? There's always room for growth. It's this lifetime journey of growing and maturing and continuing to, to grow and more and more live a life that pleases God. And so that's what he's encouraging them. They're doing well, but he's encouraging them to excel even more. Now, the next verse, he's going to go on and address this first area. But I want to sit with this idea of pleasing God for just a minute because I think it's really, really important. See, at the heart of the Christian life is a relationship, not rules. It's a relationship with a God who loves us, a God who cares about us. And see, if, if our core motivation really in our, in, our, in, our, in our Christian life is about rules, we're trying to keep the rules, if that's our core motivation, that will be insufficient. The core motivation has to be this relationship with a God who's loving and good and gracious. There's, it is powerful when we live with that kind of motivation. It's a grander, it's a better motivation than just keeping the rules. And so we need to, in our own lives, cultivate this, this core motivation of pleasing God. It's really important. There is power for obedience when we really want to please God. Work on our cult, this, kind of this core motivation. Invite Him to God to do this in your life. As, you, as we come to uh, verse 3, Paul, having given that general introduction of this core motivation that's going to be important in all these areas, begins to talk about how, how we can seek to please God in our sexuality. And so in verse 3 he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. From time to time, I'll have people kind of in my office trying to figure out what's God's will for me, you know, and, and a lot of times that's about career and stuff like that, but it's pretty clear here, right? This is God's will for you, your sanctification. Sanctification is this process that begins the moment a person trusts Christ, and it continues until Jesus either returns or until till you die. It's a lifelong journey of, of growing up in Christ, becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And it's a cooperative process. We, we apply effort. We work hard at this. We, we talk about spiritual disciplines a lot of times as part of this process of, of pursuing sanctification. But it's a cooperative process with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. He changes us. He's at work in our lives. But we cooperate. It's this lifelong journey. And when we pursue that kind of life, that pleases God. The sanctification applies to every area of life, but Paul specifically focuses first on our sexuality, and he calls us to holiness in terms of how we handle our sexuality. We're to abstain from sexual immorality. That means put it totally away. We abstain from sexual immorality, and we are to control our bodies, to use our bodies in ways that are holy and honorable. Now, this term, sexual immorality, it's, it's a really general term that applies to all kinds of sexual sin. Adultery, premarital sex, prostitution, it's just a, a broad range of uh, terms. All these things are to be avoided because they're sexually immoral. 
Now, the believers in the church in Thessalonica, they lived in a culture that did not have a biblical view of sex and sexuality. There were all kinds of forms of sex outside of marriage. It was encouraged and applauded, and it was all fine. And uh, Paul needed to speak into this area. They were doing fine, but he's encouraging them to, to excel still more. And I have no doubt if Paul were writing a letter to the church today, this would be right at the top of the list. Because we have a culture that does not have a biblical view of sexuality. Here's a biblical view of, of sex. And I, this is really brief, really short. So much more should be said. But biblical view of sex is that it's a good gift from God that is to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in the context of a marriage commitment. All other sex is what Paul calls sexual immorality. Now, God doesn't limit and restrict the use of sex to only in the context of a marriage relationship because he's down on sex, because he doesn't think it's a good idea, because he's pro-sex, he's for sex. It was his idea. He created it. But he wants us to use our sexuality in ways that will give us the deepest joy. He wants to overwhelm us with intimacy and pleasure that only comes when we use sex as he intends, which is in the context of the committed relationship of marriage. In brief, that's a biblical view of sex. And again, there's so much more that should be said. See, our culture tells us that this biblical view of sex is repressive and archaic and restrictive. Our culture tells us that you're going to find happiness when you throw off these restraints. Our culture tells us that if it feels right, it must be right. Our culture tells us anything goes. And so when you think of the biblical view of sex, it is restrictive compared to that, right? But it comes out of a loving heart of a father who cares deeply for us. Think about a parent who has a, a backyard and there's all these busy, dangerous roads. A loving parent builds a fence around that yard, not because they're trying to be restrictive to their, their kids, no, they were wanting to provide a safe place to play. They are wanting to protect them from the dangers that are on the other side of the fence. It's a loving, gracious thing for a parent to do. And see, when God has given us a fence around this whole area of our sexuality, and it's not because he's miserly or wants to rob us of things. It's provision. It's protection. It's because he loves us. That's the heart of the Father. That's why he does it. Young people, and you can decide if you're a young people or not. Um, you've got choices to make about whether you're going to trust the heart of your Heavenly Father on this and stay inside the fence. Or if you're going to listen to your own desires, if you're going to listen to the culture and everybody else around and step outside of the fence, you've got a choice to make. But know that the heart of the Father is that you would stay inside of the fence because He knows it's best for you. He knows it is good for you. I will say this to my wife, Cindy, sometimes when we're driving away. We do a lot of premarital counseling. And uh, not in every case, but in, in far too many cases, I will tell her, I wish we could bottle up, and what I would love to bottle up is 
Too many couples, they come to this time of preparation for their marriage, and it's a time where they're really getting serious about stuff, and, and they so wish that they would have not made a lot of choices that they did back there. They so wish they wouldn't have stepped out of the fence back there because now they come to their marriage preparation. There's regret, regret and there's guilt, and there's shame, and, and there's all this junk that they wish they weren't bringing to their marriage, and it maybe isn't with the person they're marrying, but there's all this history, and they wish they didn't show up to their marriage like that. And I say, I wish we could just bottle what that feels like and sort of let young people know what that, that, that experience is like, because they'll know, you'll know a few years down the road that you wished you would have made different choices now. You've got choices to make. The fence is God given because he loves you. And the reality is, it's not just young people that have choices to stay inside the fence, right? We all have that choice to stay inside the fence and so Paul reminds the Thessalonians about this fence and, and that if they want to please God, they need to abstain from sexual immorality. Instead, they need to learn how to control their own bodies in ways that would be holy and honorable because this pleases God. And as he goes on to verse 6 then, Paul, he's continuing to talk about sexuality and we are to pursue sanctification, verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in the matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and we solemnly warned you. Anytime our sexuality is using, used in ways that, that, that God did not intend, someone is transgressed against, someone is wronged, someone is hurt. This is true in adultery. This is true in premarital sex. This is true in pornography. Let me just say a word about that. Sometimes people will say, about pornography. It's just a private matter. It's, it's, I'm not hurting anyone. It's just me doing this thing in my privacy. Who does it hurt? You see, when anyone views pornography, it is transgressing and wronging another. By viewing pornography, a person is supporting an industry that it hurts those who are enslaved by it. In viewing pornography, a person is supporting an industry that, that makes women objects to be used. It brutalizes women and children. It hurts people when we do that. And God calls us to love. God calls us to love people. Paul says no one should transgress and wrong another because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. So we must not think that, that, that we can disobey God and there not be consequences. God sees, God knows, nothing is hidden from him. And I believe when a person trusts Jesus, we, we have forgiveness. We have this secure relationship with Christ. But the Bible's clear that God disciplines his children, right? And his discipline can be really severe sometimes. And so we shouldn't think that we can, can sort of ignore God in this area and, and, and God is going to not pay attention to that and not discipline us. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. But if we would pursue a life of holiness, if we would use our sexuality as God intends, we won't hurt people. We will love people in appropriate ways. And so pursue a life of holiness. This pleases God. In verse 7, Paul says that this, this pursuit of holiness, it's actually our calling. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
to be involved in any kind of sexual immorality. It goes against our calling. We are called to be holy. This is who we are to be. But if we reject our, our kind of the purpose of our calling, he says we're not just disregarding a human being giving some instructions. We're disregarding God who's given us these instructions ultimately. The one who gives his Holy Spirit to us. When he says he gives us his Holy Spirit, he's saying God has not left us alone in this battle. He's given us his spirit to empower us, to enable us to actually obey in this life. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're to pursue holiness. And when we do that, we're living in a way that's consistent with our calling. And we'll be living in a way that pleases God with our sexuality. Now, that's the passage. And uh, I want to offer some thoughts to to those who are struggling. But before I do that... (coughs) Let me say a word first to those who, who are, are pursuing the kind of life that Paul's talking about here. Um, I think Paul would want to hear you, or he would want you to hear, well done. Well done. It is not easy to pursue a life of holiness and sanctification in the world that we live in. It is a really difficult thing. It is really, really hard in this culture. And I think it's, a, it's, it's just only getting harder, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. And so, and, and you may not be perfect, we all struggle, but you're seeking to please God in this area, and you're doing it. Well done. And I think Paul's word to you would be just keep at it. Excel still more. You are living as an example to brothers and sisters in Christ that is actually possible to walk in holiness, and that's a great thing. You're a model. You're an example. You're an inspiration. Excel still more. You're living before a world that is so messed up in this area that you are a bright, shining light of what a holy life looks like. And it's winsome. It's attractive. And so well done. Keep it up. Excel still more. For those who are walking in a way that is not pleasing God in this area and struggle, I want to offer some suggestions. Um, And the struggle could be at all kind of levels, right? I mean, it could be just life of the mind, thoughts in the mind. It might be pornography. It might be that you're involved in a sexual relationship with someone to whom you are not married. The first thing you need to do is to decide whom you will please. Decide whom you will please. Another way to say it is you need to decide who's going to be the authority in your life, in this and every other area? Who's going to be the authority in your life? Will you be the authority? Will how you feel about things be the authority? Will the culture and its message be the authority? Or will you choose to let God be the authority in what he says in your life? You have to choose whom you want to please. Now, your gut reaction might be to say, sure, I want to please God. But do you really? My encouragement would be to not go too quickly just to say that, but I want you to know it. I want you to know it. And getting to a place where you know it, sometimes it doesn't happen. It may not happen here this morning. It may take some time. It may not be one quiet time. It may not be one long walk. It may be days and weeks of wrestling with this question. Who's the authority? Who am I going to please? And I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to think about that because that is a critical thing to have that core motivation settled. The good news, I believe, is that uh, 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is not something you actually have to muster up and work up. I believe that when you trusted Jesus, he placed his spirit inside of you. And in Romans, Paul talks about there's this new creation, this new person that is created. And that new creation is bent towards God. That new creation wants to please God. And so I think this work of figuring out pleasing God, it's not about creating that desire in your life. It's about getting connected to the deepest part of who God has made you to be in Jesus. And so that's what I'm encouraging. Get connected to that deepest part of who you are. That's how God made you. Now, if you've been on this journey and you're trying to get there and you're just like, I can't get there. I can't, I can't get my heart over there where I really want to please God. I cannot get my will over there. What I would encourage you to do is get to know God. Get to know God. And that's probably good for all of us, right? Get to know God. Because see, when we, uh, all of us have people that we really admire and we respect and we find them so attractive and winsome and, and, and a great example, uh, we want to please that kind of person, right? And, and we don't actually have to try to want to please them. We just want to. And I think it's the same way with God. When we become convinced of how good he is, how loving, how kind, how merciful, how beautiful he is, it just creates this desire to want to please that kind of God. So make that your focus. But this whole area of deciding whom you will please is really critical. It's got to start there. Secondly, I would encourage you to confess and repent of your sexual sin. Of course, if we're aware of any kind of sin in our lives, we're called to confess it. Not to explain it away, not to excuse it, but just just to get honest with God and to confess it. He already knows. And confession is just this act where we agree with him. We acknowledge, God, you're right. How I'm living, how I'm thinking, what I've done, it's wrong. This morning we're celebrating the Lord's table, and this is always an invitation to to come and and sit before the Lord and say, God, search my heart. Show me what's there. Is there some sin I need to confess? My my encouragement to all of us today is that we would would come clean before our Heavenly Father related to any kind of sexual sin in our lives, that we would get real, that we would get honest with Him today, that we would talk to Him about it. So we confess our sin, but we also need to repent. And repent means we turn away from it. We turn away from the sin. We, we stop doing the thing that is sinful. And this can be so hard, especially with sexual sin. If you're in an immoral relationship, repentance means probably breaking it off. And young people, um, our culture is telling you that if it's not intercourse, it's Okay. Anything up to that point, it's okay, right? It's not okay. It's not pure. It's not holy. It's not God's best for you. And all that needs to stop as well. If pornography is the issue, repentance might mean getting rid of whatever you're using to, to get access. And, and it might be a drastic thing to uh, get rid of a smartphone and just have a dumb phone or, or put that computer out in the middle somewhere where everyone sees you whenever you're on it. But, but if, if this is what repentance requires, right? If we really want to please God, we'll do some drastic things to get to a different place. It may be that some of you have strayed so far in this area of your life, so far away from God's will, so far away from God's best. And in your heart right now, you're saying, yeah, I'll confess, but I don't know how I can repent. I don't know how I can go back to God. The guilt, the shame is just too great. Would God ever love me? Would God ever accept me? Could I ever get back to inside the fence again? I will remind you of the story of the prodigal son, right? His son went so far away 
so far away, wandered so far away from his father. And when he finally woke up and it, it all started to make sense to him, he said, I'm going to go back to my father. I know I can't be a son anymore. I'll just be a servant in my father's house. But the father had his arms wide open and he brought him back and he was a son and he accepted him and he was right back with his father. You do not have to work your way back to God. You just got to come. You got to repent. You got to come back. And he's this God who's open, armed, and loving, and, and he will bring you back, my son, my daughter. So we confess, we repent. And then, third, I would encourage you to come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. And sexual sin makes us want to hide. See, there's power when our sin is hidden. And so we need to come out of hiding. Yes, we confess our sin to God, but it is powerful and is freeing to confess your sin to a trusted friend. And shame and guilt, it's going to tell you, you, you can't tell anyone. They, they, they'll reject you. Um, it's just enough to tell God. The enemy will tell you, you are alone in your struggle. No one will understand. No one. And so you better keep it quiet. That's part of his strategy is to keep you isolated in your shame. But you are not alone. Guys, if you're struggling with pornography, you are not alone. Come out of hiding. In preparation for this sermon, I, I, I interacted with some women who are involved in some kind of discipling, mentoring, counseling kind of ministries, and they sure assured me this this whole area of pornography is just not a guy's issue either. And so for some of you ladies, this may be your struggle. You're not alone. Come out of hiding. Tell someone. Very few people who are struggling with sin in this area can walk in obedience and freedom without help. There's got to be help. So come out of hiding. If you don't feel like you have someone to talk to, come talk to one of the pastors Reach out to one of the elders, any of the leaders, uh, younger people. Maybe you're in a group. Uh, tell your leader. Tell your parents. Come out of hiding. It's really important. And fourth, and it's really probably connected to that, get connected to a helpful community. We all need to be connected to community. That's why we talk about life groups. We, we need community. It's, 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 it's what we need in the whole Christian life. It's what we need for the journey. But it's going to be especially important in the struggle because, see, recovery over sexual brokenness, healing, working out our repentance in this area, it doesn't just happen as a snap. I mean, it, it's something worked out over time. And, and we need a community of people that are, that are helping us, that are praying for us, that are encouraging us, that are, that are holding us accountable, that will love you. And when, when, the, when you fail again and when you mess up, you need that kind of community that you're holding on to. So get connected to a helpful community. And guys, one of the things we have here at Faith, it's something called Pure Desire. We've had a, we just have this group for men right now, but uh, it's a year long. It's a very intensive, uh, I mean, deep commitment uh, with these guys. That uh, it's a group of guys that are working out um, kind of their you know, growing in sexual integrity together. And there's study and there's accountability. It's a pretty rigorous group. But if you want to get serious, if you want to come out of hiding and get connected to a group that could be very helpful, this would be a great group. And uh, the new one will be starting here really soon, like within a week or so. And so uh, the write-up on that group's in the, in the Life Group catalog. And, and uh, I'm the contact person to help you get connected to that group and, and those guys. So get connected to a helpful community. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I went to, uh, attended the Willow Creek 
Association's Leadership Summit. I, I go almost every year, and uh, almost every year, Bill Hybels, who's a uh, pastor at Willow Creek Community Church, gives an opening talk, and like he does almost every year, he makes this statement. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. And I believe that. And do we live in a world that desperately needs hope? Uh, we do. And yet, if, if we're not healthy, if we're not a healthy church like Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians, how can we be the hope of the world? I think it's a healthy church that's the hope of the world, right? And so if we're over here sort of mired in whatever kind of sexual sin we're mired in, we're not living as the hope of the world. See, Jesus has given us this mission to proclaim the gospel, the good news. That's our mission. And it's too great and it's too grand and it's too important for us to sort of keep muddling around over here with our sexual sin. My hope today as we come to the Lord's table is that we really would, we would get honest with God, we would do business with God about this area. That we would confess our sin, that we would repent, that we would invite His grace into our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live a different way. And so that's my invitation as we come to the table today. Do business with God. Come clean. Be honest. Invite His activity to change you in this area. Make a decision today that it's going to be different. At faith, we, we practice open communion, which means if you have trusted Jesus, even if it's, you're just here visiting today, we invite you to join us in, in communion. We'll pra- pass the bread first, and if you need uh, allergy, gluten-free bread, it's in the little middle tray. And we'll pass the bread, and then we'll pass the juice. We'd ask that you'd wait till everyone is served, and then we'll eat and drink together. And so as the communion servers come forward, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that it gives us here for this area of our lives. And God, as we come to the table now, we're so grateful that Jesus uh, paid a price on the cross. His blood was shed. His body was broken for the forgiveness of our sins. God, we need this. We need your forgiveness. We're so grateful for Jesus. And God, as we come to the table, we just, we're inviting you to search our hearts. We're inviting conviction and, and help us just uh, come and, and kind of experience and encounter you in this area of our lives this morning as we take communion. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.